This is Sergey Rothschild, episode number 43. If you are new to my podcast, I interview top CEOs and world-class performers to uncover how they think, their routines, how they achieve success, what motivates them, what they read, how they overcome setbacks, all to uncover the psychology behind their business success. And the show is purely for people who want to learn and get better every single day. And on this episode, number 43, I had an opportunity to meet with entrepreneur from California, Santa Barbara, Steve Zahm, who heads 2000 people company, a global software construction company called Procore. And he co-founded two businesses. One took four years to succeed, the second one, eight years. So naturally was very interested in understanding what drives Steve, what was his determination to keep going. We touch on his values and routines. We talk about how he creates a culture of learning at Procore to make sure that he keeps his best talent. He also gives advice to young entrepreneurs and people who are starting early in their career in tech. So without further ado, here's Steve. My guest today calls himself unemployable, went from being a history major to co-founding two high-growth VC SaaS companies. He was teaching at UC Santa Barbara the management course for three years and now is the president and CEO of Procore, a cloud-based software company for construction. His name is Steve Zahm. Steve, thanks a lot for coming. Thanks so much for having me. So you called yourself unemployable. I've heard it once. How early in your career you realized that you are this way? That I was unemployable? Yeah. Um, I think I've always been interested in entrepreneurship, but really coming when I first started my career in technology was back in the 1990s. And at that point, uh, as a liberal arts major coming out of uh, university, and then going to a master's in business program. I had learned uh, all about technology. I'd learned about high-tech marketing. I felt that I could contribute to a, a software company in particular. I, w- I wanted to work in Silicon Valley. And at that point in the mid-1990s, you could not get a job at a high-technology company, at a software company, uh, without a background in electrical engineering or some sort of engineering degree, a computer science degree. Uh, it wasn't like it is today where uh, I've read that at Stanford University, nearly 25% of all undergraduate majors are computer science majors. Right. That was not the state of the world in the mid-1990s or the early 1990s. And when I graduated from graduate business school, uh, I wasn't able to get a job in the field that I wanted to work in. And that was high technology. And what was attracting me about the technology marketplace was what was it like to work in those companies? In other words, uh, was it a hierarchical culture? No. I mean, even the very early uh, semiconductor companies, for example, at Intel, it was a very flat organizational structure. Mm -hmm. It was uh, positioned as a meritocracy. Over time, there's been some argument as to whether technology is still truly a meritocracy. But at that point in in the mid-1990s, again, it was the place to go if you were attracted by a lack of bureaucracy, uh, advancement Mm -hmm. based upon merit, based upon achievement. And so those were all things that attracted me to the industry, yet without an engineering degree, I was frankly unemployable. So uh, that led to me actually starting, uh, being the first employee of a startup, uh, at that point a marketing consulting startup. And which, then, grew, which made like a b- massive difference when you started it out of university 
yes. and it grew to something uh, way bigger than that. Well, it, it did. I, that first company uh, was a brand consulting company, and then I knew that being at a startup was a fun uh, experience. I was learning a tremendous amount, and so when another classmate contacted me about starting uh, a company, I, I jumped to that one, and we started that around my kitchen table. That was an online learning company uh, called Digital Think, and that grew uh, from the three of us that co-founded that to 400 employees and went public in 2000, and that was a, a wonderful journey, something that I thought I would never have the equivalent or be in any way able to surpass that experience. But uh, since working at Procore and, and uh, being there from writing the very first business plan for Procore and following uh, the lead of our CEO, Tui Cordemanche, who knows all about the construction industry. Yeah. Um, following his lead and being his partner over the years has been um, quite uh, it, it, a level of accomplishment that I never dreamed of, of experiencing. You went into construction industry with no knowledge about construction. Was it because you had success with your previous company or you were more of a screw it, let's do it kind of guy, <laughs> like Richard Branson style? I've never known anything about any industry that I've entered into. Frankly, I, I uh, went into the e-learning industry having never taken a corporate training course in my life, yet we sold to Fortune 1000 companies. I uh, Likewise, with Procore, uh, the only thing I've ever built was a I took part in a bathroom remodel, and now my wife doesn't let me near the toolbox anymore. Uh, so the experience and what attracted me to Procore was, one, the... Um, who I was working with, so the opportunity to work with TUI, um, and two, the opportunity to put into play a business model that I've always been fascinated by, which is cloud computing. Uh, we define cloud computing as being a single code base that uh, has a multi-tenant architecture at its very simplest level. And the thought to bring cloud computing to construction came from, well, this makes sense because you have a distributed user base, you have a distributed project team that works for different companies that are coming together to build a prototype, a construction project. Um, I thought it sounded like a great idea. It was, a, it was a horrible idea. But it took you forever. Like it took like at least seven years mm -hmm. and then you had to fire 14 people or 15 people, mm -hmm. went down from 21 to four people. Was there at any point you thought I had to pack that in, pack this in? Well, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about it being a horrible idea. We were trying to make cloud-based software for people who didn't have internet access. Uh, and really we were saved about 2007 when the iPhone came out and we saw the potential for, oh my gosh, we can get the data from this uh, construction software to the actual site where people are working. If you remember pre-2007, uh, everything was on Blackberries. Right. Um, may they rest in peace for my Canadian <laughs> listeners. But it's uh, something that was uh, it was non-obvious, but we thought that at least there was a glimmer of hope for better product market fit. What kept us going through not only the waiting for mobile to make it to the job site, but through the Great Recession in, in the U.S., where we were losing customers faster than we could sign them up, was really the ability of those customers or the propensity of those customers, once they started using Procore, they jumped out of their seats mm -hmm. saying, this is going to change the way that I 
that I do business. It's going to change the way that we communicate and collaborate on the, on the job site. If you're solving a customer pain and you're really doing that to the extent that they're willing to buy your earliest iterations of your product, then you know you have a business there. 100%. So going from that, that causes you to lean in and to stick with the business. The question, and what we didn't know, was how big is that business? So how big is the total addressable market? How rapid would the adoption be? What we didn't see coming was the invention of tablets, for example. So smartphones would be great, but I don't think that you would have nearly the usage on construction sites of cloud-based software that you do today were it not for a form factor such as tablet computers. So again, something not in our control, Mm. but what kept us going were the reactions of the customers. For for a very long time. What do you, Steve, if you could look at yourself when you were 20 years old and uh, who you are right now, how do you, what do you find in yourself to persevere and go through challenges? as an entrepreneur, as, as somebody who leads the company, what changed yeah. from, from all those years? I think it's a, it, it's a great question because the first company from when it was founded to when it went public and was four years. Uh, for this company, from when it was founded to when it achieved product market fit and became actually investable or fundable by a venture capital firm was um, about eight years. Hmm. So uh, right there, it doubled. Um, And I think what gave me the perspective to persevere is that one, the reaction from the customers to the fact that um, as you go through different life changes, your relation to time changes. Uh, For example, when somebody starts raising children, it gives you a different perspective on the passage of time, the passage, uh, the growth that comes with the passage of time. Certainly raising children gives you patience mm. uh, that you didn't know you had. It causes you to care about others more than you yourself as an individual. I think there's a reason that nature um, enables us mm. to be parents and it does um, form part of my life experience that I know at least that changed my perspective on long-term effort and perseverance. You view success at not in like a two-year term, you view success as, oh, I, I have 10 years. Let's see what happens. I, I think that you're always working towards a future definition of a better you, right? That's what it means to be successful. And as you grow older, the metrics that you use to judge that success change remarkably. Uh, and I think that doing uh, good in the world, building a business that is good for customers, but also as the business roundtable belatedly has come to the conclusion in the in the states, uh, and this was for some reason controversial, was that a business has a duty not only to shareholders but to the extended stakeholders, including the employees, including the customers, and including the community in which that business operates. I think that perspective is a very mature perspective. It's a very realistic perspective. And that maturity, I think, comes over time. And so right. it's it's interesting. I uh, personally feel very much in alignment with that viewpoint that a business does have a responsibility to all of its stakeholders. Mm-hmm. I don't know in my early 20s if I would have considered anything beyond the business. I need this business to be successful so I can pay my rent. Right. 100%. In, I've, uh, in conversations with other CEOs, I've heard that family values 
very often come up and they're very much at the top. And it probably was similar to you when you had to move to Santa Barbara. Well, that, that was what the reason I moved to Santa Barbara was to raise my kids in an environment outside of the Bay Area. Um, and so it was driven by family. I think what's interesting to note about Procore is that we did not arrive at our values until we had a need to scale the business. And it was something that I learned from my prior company that hiring for culture fit uh, was a superior strategy to hiring for uh, specific job skills. And one thing I would encourage all entrepreneurs to look at is who do you want to be in the long term? And if you don't start with people that have the right uh, ability to live within whatever culture you want to define, uh, you're going to have a much harder time um, teaching culture than you will teaching skills. You can usually, if you hire smart people, driven people, energetic individuals, you can teach them almost anything or they can learn almost anything from actual experience. Uh, changing character is very difficult. A hundred percent. And you, from, from the leadership perspective, have to d give that learning velocity or allow for that learning velocity f to keep those individuals who are really, really good. Absolutely. I think that people who you would categorize as being desirable employees, they, they want to learn. They're hungry for more knowledge. That's part of their life journey, mm -hmm. is that they want to get better at whatever craft it is that, that they do. Uh, Daniel Pink in his book Drive talks about, as a motivational factor, the importance of mastery. People want to master their craft, mm -hmm. be they marketers or software engineers. If you don't provide people with a clear path to achieving mastery, they're going to find some other company that provides that to them or some other organization or some other outlet. I don't think that you would sign up a lot of people if you advertise, come here and stagnate with us. Um, that's not a really attractive uh, recruiting message. Oh, certainly. No, that probably wouldn't. I mean, it, pro it doesn't work for a long time for any time and uh, just as we know uh, attrition of employees is as expensive as customers even yes even more so, so even more so how do you what do you do to make sure that the best employees stay at Procore what are some of the policies that you that you keep in place one of the things we do is that when we hire we we really do hire in accordance to uh, the values and we use cultural fit um, as one of the criteria. Now, I, I want to be clear about that. It's not cultural fit in we need you to be just like who we are, the people who are already here. It's more talking about our values of ownership, openness, and optimism, and can you live within those guardrails, if you will, right. with, of the culture, and is that someplace that you would thrive in? I think once people do arrive, we promise them mastery. We invest very heavily in learning. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not unusual for a first-year employee at Procore to go through uh, 200 hours of training of some sort, either instructor-led training or online training. Our orientation and boot camp uh, follow-up weeks for specific roles in the first two weeks at Procore, you spend all of your time learning. So that's super, 80 hours right there. Super intense training, right? Yeah, uh, because most people don't come from the construction industry. So they need to learn about not only the construction industry, but how Procore as a product helps our users within the construction industry. And then they need to learn about how do we work at Procore? How do we communicate with each other? How do we manage teams? How do we uh, really do our best work? When you add all those things up, there's easily 80 hours of, of training there.
Right. No, the best companies do spend so much time on training and retaining the talent that makes a big difference. You said something that kind of stuck with me about solopreneurs. You said when you're starting a company, it's very, very hard to persevere by yourself. How do, are there any ways around that for solopreneurs or it that depends on the nature of the business? It, it, uh, I stand by that just because I think it makes for a very brittle organization. So if you're the only person, um, who do you lean on in times of trouble? Who do you lean on for encouragement? Who, are you really that well-rounded that you have all of the strengths you need to build a, a hugely successful company? Um, I'm not saying that the, the uh, solopreneur who has a one-person consulting practice can't pay their rent, but that's how far the business is going to go. If you're trying to build a scalable, repeatable business, to do it by yourself as a sole visionary, um, it's been done and people have achieved it, but I think it's a very difficult uh, road to, to walk. I think that uh, having a leadership team and having an experienced leadership team I know there are people at, at Procore today who have skills far beyond anything that I have, or mm-hmm. and I think Tui Cordemanche, our CEO, mm-hmm. would agree with that, that Procore's strength comes from the team. It doesn't come from any um, from the founders. Certainly. Are there any role models that you personally follow, look up to in, in the business world or maybe in, in personal life? It's an interesting question. I, I tend to, um, I encourage mentors within business. I encourage mentors for uh, younger people at at Procore. I enjoy providing uh, instruction to people, but I think about um, what I do personally, and I've always been a a reader, and I probably read um, more than most people, at least in my Mm -hmm. experience, and talking to them. So there are different authors that I I turn to and and try and, and get a a lot of inspiration from. Who do you like? Uh, who do you? Uh, who inspires you the most? Well, we were talking earlier about Ben Horowitz and his uh, new book. So uh, good. Um, you are what you do. I think that's a great read. Um, there are other uh, authors such as Adam Grant, who brings more of a data-driven approach with his book, The Originals: What It Takes to Be an Original Thinker in Business. Uh, Marcus Buckingham's The Nine Lies About Work. Mm -hmm. Um, Fantastic uh, insight into organizational design. Um, And from a philosophical standpoint, on a personal level, um, I really enjoy a lot of the writings about the Stoic philosophers Mm -hmm. um, and kind of how they approached life really with the attitude of control what you can, but don't try and control those things that are outside of, of your ability it brings up this very different mindset right when uh, when suddenly so many things are outside of your control you still feel calm you still feel that I'm you, you're doing what you have to do and then everything else we'll see what happens exactly I mean there's no way that I can change people's opinions about me beyond my actions um, people may disagree with the opinions that I talk about on this podcast but I can't control that I can't control the voice in their heads, but I can control my actions and how I think, and that's pretty much it. Is there any? Is there a book that you gifted the most to other people that you could recall? I never gift books, okay. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> which is, and, and maybe it comes because I, 
I um, I do gift a lot of articles when I see them in as I read different blogs or different um, periodicals. And I got into a habit very early on at Procore where I would pepper these out. And I, I would think I was doing the greatest favor for people until finally people started coming back to me and saying, would you please stop that? You're, <laughs> you're overloading me. I have no time to do my work because I'm reading all these articles that you're sending me. So I try and I still do that occasionally, but I've, yeah. I've dialed back on it a bit. So but Learning is a superpower. I think it is. I, I mean, look, we live in the information age. Your ability to process information, your ability to get multiple diverse viewpoints, is it really is something that is going to help you bring multiple perspectives to any task or challenge mm. that you're confronted with. So why wouldn't you be learning? And for me, the way to do that is to read. Uh, I want to transition to a few Tim Ferriss-like questions. Okay. Those are generally harder to answer, but uh, let's see. Tell us the story that you haven't publicly shared before. God, I don't, I don't know what that would be. I, 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 with a with a core value of openness, I'm pretty open. Uh, uh, that you know. that could be in a, in, in with with that value or yeah. business related story. That's that that will, that will work. Any business related story. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I think uh, in terms of different business stories, I think when you asked earlier, and this just comes to mind, uh, why keep going with Procore? Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a certain amount of timing that was lucky. Um, and by that, I, as I said earlier, I had small children and, um, who are now in college. But at the time that uh, Procore was experiencing a lot of challenges, the business was slow. And so I was able to be a great parent, or I think a great parent. My kids probably mm. would laugh out loud at this, but uh, is, is there right? But I think I was able to be present for my kids. And what I've always been amazed about in Procore's journey is the arc of the company's growth as opposed to the arc of my family's growth. Mm. And the ability for there to be a business that was worth working on and worth putting countless hours into but one that was not all consuming in terms of time because there simply weren't any customers at points or there was nothing more we could do while we waited for a customer decision to come back for us or a prospect to turn into a customer um, allowed me to be present in a way with my kids that I'll always be eternally grateful for. Mm. And just as they matured into teenagers and really weren't interested in as much interaction with me, um, the business took off. Hmm. And so that was a very interesting time. And, and I've always kind of scratched my head and, and considered that to be quite uh, unique. So that would be one story that I haven't really talked to people about. Well, well, what's interesting, I find, is that you talk to a lot of successful executives. And then later on, when they reflect on what they did, a lot of times the regret comes up that, oh, actually, haven't spent en haven't spent enough time with my family. Right. My business is so successful, and it's just way more successful. I've got more money than I could ever spend, but you can't really turn the clock back and no, look you at can't. those moments that you actually missed. Yeah, and and I'm, I have so much gratitude for the fact that I don't feel that way, and he, I I feel that I was there to see my kids mm -hmm. grow up. We traveled the world together. We've had experiences together that I think built a very solid foundation for our relationship. Um, but 
if we didn't spend enough time together, it wasn't because of Procore. Mm. It was because of, of other elements in, in our lives. But I really think that um, compared to a lot of peers, as you say, and other entrepreneurs that I've spoken with, that was a sacrifice that purely due to dumb luck and due to timing yeah. and in no way due to my efforts, yeah. um, I kind of stumbled into. So. Well, which is which is a really a good coincidence, I guess, if we would put it this way. If you were 20 years old, let's say, you, we, we, we're going to go back in time. This is a typical question a lot of people mm -hmm. ask. And you're just starting out. You want to be in tech. What would be an advice that you give yourself knowing what you know right now? The difference between when I was 20 years old and 20-year-olds now is that the impact and the leverage of networking is better than it ever has been. Um, we didn't have the tools of LinkedIn. Uh, when I went to my father upon graduating from university and said, Dad, do you know anyone in Silicon Valley that I can go work for? Um, he said, nope. And, and we lived about 70 miles from Silicon Valley. And I knew that he interacted with these people, but he was just like, no, I can't help you. Um, you can meet this one fellow I know, and his name was Don Valentine, the founder of uh, Sequoia, who recently passed. I actually went and had an informational interview with Don Valentine. And, and Don Valentine looked at me and he said, you don't want to get into VC. Venture capital's dead. <laughs> This was, again, this was in the late 1980s, okay? So yeah. it's um, it, it just, there wasn't the perspective in terms of networking. There wasn't the perspective in terms of internships. There wasn't the perspective of um, technology even growing at the rate that it's growing. So that has changed. Um, uh, I think the other thing that has changed is that you can go onto the internet today. Uh, Wealthfront is a, a site that um, does investing for millennials. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar yep. with it. But on Wealthfront's blog, there is a list of 50 career-making companies for millennials. Mm. I wish that it existed <laughs> when I was in my 20s. Um, Definitely. And, and I think the important thing is what they talk about in those companies. They're solidly funded. They have great business models, which, as I've mentioned, is a, an interest of mine. But they also uh, provide young um, the people entering the workforce with challenges and with the ability to have a span of control that is greater at an earlier age than they would otherwise going into a larger uh, 10,000, 20,000 person corporation. So I think that um, the ability to network online, mm. to reach out and contact almost anyone in the business community that they want, and the ability to uh, access a list such as Wealthfront's 50 career-making companies, mm -hmm. that combination is amazing power and information in the hands of someone just starting their career. And also there's, it comes with a little bit of a caveat where there's way too many things. How do you narrow it down? How, what are the questions you maybe you need to ask yourself to, to, to focus on the very few that will yes. make a difference? Well, I've talked about how important it is for companies to hire for culture. You want to join for culture. Do not join for a logo. Do not join a company that you've heard of because it makes it easier to talk to your friends about where you're going to go work. Um, join a company because you enjoy the team that you're going to be reporting to. Um, at the uh, one of the nine lies about work that Marcus Buckingham talks about in his work is that there, he says it's a lie that there's such a thing as company culture. Mm. I disagree with him. 
uh, to a certain extent. But his point that he's trying to make is that really there is only the team culture that you as an individual employee work with. So before accepting that job at Google, before accepting that job at any other technology company that may have this storied brand and storied past, get to know the team that you're going to be working with, get to know the people that you're going to be spending your time with, and understand the roles and responsibilities of your job. Don't think that every job at that big tech company is going to be the great job that, that you read about or that was covered in Wired Magazine or right. Inc. Magazine, right? So easy to get it, uh, to fall prey of marketing and the brand and, and think like, oh, Apple, they, they probably are amazing and everything, but that's rarely the case. The external view is so different. It's like Peter Thiel's story where he says I, when he wanted to work for this law firm and everybody wanted to get in on the outside, on the inside, everybody wanted to get out. Yes, I, I've never been a, a part of a large organization, be that a company or an educational institution, uh, that didn't have people that you didn't want to work with, that you didn't want to be a part of that effort, or people that were spending their times in, or spending their time in ways that I didn't agree with, and that started all the way at undergraduate level of, of university. Yet it was so hard to gain admittance to that university. Uh, it just is the nature of human institutions. Right. So. Um, be certain that the company that you join is the role and responsibility that you want to do. And if that company is a brand that no one has ever heard of in an industry that you never thought you would have gone to work for, such as construction software, yeah, right. um, value the company for what it is, not for what it appears to be. And if you're an entrepreneur, what are some of the things you should ignore? Maybe a common advice that you shouldn't you shouldn't take and uh, what are some of the vital things that you should focus on from your perspective maybe something that wasn't already been stated a lot of times sure online. um well one that comes to mind since i've talked so much about how much i love to read is don't believe everything you read believe what you experience mm -hmm. so if you're going to be an entrepreneur and people tell you your business model won't work well validate that don't everyone has an opinion about business models but actually doing market validation by uh, approaching uh, your business idea from a lean startup type mm -hmm. of uh, angle um, Steve Blank has a great website steveblank.com and yeah. if you go and and learn about market validation and actually do the hard work of validating your business model with potential customers potential partners you will learn a hundred times more than you will by listening to the sage advice of others who have no uh, have strong opinions about your business, but actually haven't been a customer for that business idea or been part of that business. So reality is not on the internet. Um, reality is okay. is in the world, right? The truth is not in this building. As Blank says, yeah. the truth is outside of the building. So get the heck out of the building and base your decisions on actual experience, not on solely on the opinions of others. What comes to mind is, uh, this, I've heard the quote from the CEO of Drift, David Cancel, where he says that uh, he doesn't like to lo literally just look at the data because it's like looking in the rear view mirror. You have to get outside the building, get in the mud and talk to customers. Yes, absolutely. I mean, again, it was the conversations 
with early Procore customers that convinced me that we had a real business here. I knew it was a multi-million dollar revenue business. I didn't know that it was gonna be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. You've been doing it for a very long time right now. What keeps you going now? What is the motivation to, to for, for doing a lot of work? Because as, as a president, you are, you're not just sitting and waiting uh, or just looking at the dashboard. Right. You're, it's, it's a constant, never-ending hustle, uh, probably more than just five days a week. What, what's, the, what's the thing that keeps you going? So I've been at Procore for 15 years. I think in that time it's been six or perhaps eight different companies as it goes through the different uh, stages of growth. Now we're a 2,000-person company with 13 offices in four different countries. Um, that's tremendously different organization to work at than a um, six-person startup in Santa Barbara, California. What it represents today, I think what's fascinating for me today is um, as president, how can I grow the company on that international basis, on that multi-location basis, but also grow the culture at mm -hmm. the same time? And will the culture scale? And everyone has talked about founder-led companies as oh, the culture gets diluted over yeah. time. I believe the exact opposite. I believe if you hire people based upon the values and you and fit for culture as being a entry point to the business, then people are coming to the company in support of those values. So if you hire more people based upon the values as a as a test fit, then you should be able to strengthen the culture over time, not dilute it because those people ho hold those values in high enough esteem that they want to join the company. That's uh, theory. It's mm -hmm. what I've seen borne out by Procore's experience. Mm -hmm. That keeps me going now because, okay, that's worked to 2,000 people. Will it work for 5,000? Will it work for 10,000? It's the next milestone. Exactly. And then uh, beyond that, we're starting to be approached by our customers in the construction industry who are looking at Procore's growth and our ability to maintain and strengthen that culture over time. And they're asking for advice. How do they find the best people in order to grow their construction companies? Um, being provided with the opportunity and the platform upon which to influence the culture of not only this single company, Procore, mm -hmm. but also the greater construction industry at large is a, is a gift. And it's something that gets me excited every day. It's amazing. What is the, one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made in your life? One of the w most worthwhile investments, um, anything to do with education always seems to be a big return. Mm -hmm. um, I did very early, I had the opportunity to buy a second home and um, with some of the, the earnings from my first company. And instead, uh, we purchased into a uh, what is called a vacation club. And you would, for an annual fee, get 30 days of vacation time at different um, destinations mm -hmm. around the world. But you had to pay it all once a year. And if you didn't use those 30 days, you would lose them. Okay, good model. So that ended up uh, causing me to travel and forcing me to take time off for my family, which in turn built a, a shared history of experience with my family, which um, has always given me that um, so-called uh, happy place in your head, that those memories that you can return to. Probably the single best investment um, because it stood the test of time. Mm. If I tried to give up that um, being part of that 
that vacation club. I think my wife would um, not allow that <laughs> at this point. Um, but it, it's led to a very rich and um, fulfilling uh, set of shared experiences with friends, with family, that um, has really been a, an incredible return. So that's a that's a non-business investment. And it's perfect. Then. It doesn't have to be. And it's a lot of times it's not where you are, it's who are you with, right? Yes, exactly. I think, you know, my definition of success is being with a, a group of friends and enjoying um, kind of the laughter and the um, fellowship that comes from that. Um, that's a gift and the ability to have had a life that I've been able to enjoy that has in, in even if Procore was not as successful as it has been, I would still think that uh, be able to point to those relationships as, as being a, the greatest achievement in life. Talk to me briefly about your morning, evening routine. Do you follow any certain certain things when you start your day? You get a ton of emails. Everybody yeah. wants to get a, a piece of your time uh, all the time. Are there any things that you do, maybe rituals that you've developed over time? Yeah, I'm, I'm very habit-driven um, because it allows me not to have to make a lot of decisions, especially early in the morning. So I work out um, seven days a week, mm -hmm. and my favorite exercise, uh, I'm a cyclist, and also I, I do circuit training, but my favorite exercise is uh, swimming. And I, when I lived in the Bay Area, I was an open-water swimmer in San Francisco Bay, and now I do the somewhat tamer alternative mm -hmm. of lap swimming. But I actually, when I travel, and I travel a great deal on behalf of Procore, I choose my hotels by whether or not they have a, a lap pool. Mm. Um, it's surprising at when you check into the front desk of a hotel, if you ask uh, the person at the front desk about the hotel pool that they have featured on mm -hmm. their website, rarely will they know the, the length of that pool, <laughs> which is, is one of the most immutable facts about any pool. It's not going to change its length. It may change its temperature, but whether it's open or not, but um, that continues to, to fascinate me. So I always mm. try and swim or work out every morning. Um, and I have a, you know, the same kind of approach to email, I think, that everyone does. Um, Ignore it? Or just not look at it first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do use uh, a plugin for my email browser that does separate emails into those that get through to the inbox versus those that are mm -hmm. saved for later. And it does that um, using some form of pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how it works, but right. it seems to work quite well for me. Um, so I, I think just trying to focus on those things that have urgency and are important rather than mm -hmm. those things that are important but not urgent. Yeah, no, that makes sense. In the evening, anything specifically that you do or it depends on the day? In the evening? Yeah. Uh, really, it's to come home and decompress with and talk to, my, talk to my wife about what she's done that day and uh, really make it a rule. I think and more people, even at Procore, could benefit from this. Check out your Gmail. Your mm -hmm. Gmail has an option to deliver emails the next day, two days mm -hmm. from now. Time shift your emails. Um, get them off of your plate. If you want to answer emails at nine o'clock at night, fine, go ahead and do that. But please don't bombard the rest of us with your emails. Instead, time shift them and let them show up in everyone else's inbox at 8 a.m. And you will find that if you time shift your emails, you'll start to encourage other people to time shift theirs and therefore all email correspondence can hit during the workday mm. instead of showing up at, at 11 o'clock at night and sending a signal that says, I need a response to this now. Um, 
I don't think that's a, a healthy way to, to work. So that's one thing I, that I, I do try and do with my emails. Well, Steve, before I la ask my last question, where's everybody can find you online? Uh, really just at, at Procore. So um, come to uh, Procore.com and uh, really you'll see what we're doing, not only from a software standpoint, but from uh, our social impact arm as well, which we're very proud of. Procore's vision is to improve the lives of everyone in construction. We do that not only through uh, providing what we feel is superior mm -hmm. software, but also the ability to um, bring diversity and inclusion to the construction industry, uh, to provide free uh, software and curriculum to programs that are teaching construction management at the university level, uh, to helping out organizations such as Habitat for Humanity with uh, donations of our software and our time to implement that software. Again, if we can improve the lives of everyone in construction, then we can make a better industry. That industry will therefore attract the, the skills and the talent that it needs to grow. And at the end of the day, that's good for everyone's business, including Procourse. And what's your personal mission to have an impact on this world? I think the legacy that I'd like to, to leave is uh, showing people that um, positive culture drives improvements in business. I don't know how you can have a superior business by whatever metric you choose, whether it's revenues or mm -hmm. customer satisfaction. If your employees aren't engaged, if they're not doing their best work, I don't know how you get engaged employees without having a positive workplace culture. So I'd like to shift um, the conversation around workplace culture to not uh, positive culture being optional, but positive culture should really be table stakes and an entry point into building a great company. And for those entrepreneurs who would be listening to this podcast, I would say the earlier that you can start building that positive culture, whether you're two people or 10 people or 200 people, um, start being intentional about your values and what you hold to be valuable within your culture. Start doing that today and you will find that you will attract better people, they'll do better work and your business will prosper as a result. Steve, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been fun. Thanks so much. It was great to be here. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you did, you can go on my website. It's sergeyross.live. And you can join my email list. So you keep hearing from me about the new and upcoming interviews, my personal blog articles on business and personal development. You can sign up right there. And um, otherwise, I will see you in episode number 44, which will be coming out soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.